Hey there, and welcome back to Crypto Clarified, Investing in the Truth. This is a podcast series where we come together to discuss the most captivating headlines and trends from the crypto space. My name is Benjamin Dean. I'm director in Wisentry's digital assets team. And today I'm joined by and have the pleasure of welcoming Pierre Debreu, who's head of quantitative research and multi-asset solutions Europe. It's a mouthful at WisdomTree. And Blake Hyman, Senior Associate Quantitative Research, also at WisdomTree in Europe. Let's have a mouthful there. Uh, Social media shout outs. Uh, Anyone who wants to find me on the Bird app, you can find me at Benjamin Dean. If you are in the United States, join the waitlist for WisdomTree Prime, wisdomtreeprime.com. You won't be disappointed. It's been a busy January uh, for the digital asset space. Uh, But today, we're not going to sit there and talk about prices. We're going to talk about something a little bit more obscure and intricate. We're going to talk about crypto indexing. We're going to kick off with a brief explanation about what indexing is in financial services. We're going to talk a little bit about how and why crypto indexing has become possible in recent years. We're going to discuss in a little bit of detail what makes crypto indexing a bit tricky compared to indexing in spaces like equities. And then finally, we're going to close out the episode looking to the future, as always, trying to be as optimistic as possible, thinking about the opportunities that might lie in the crypto indexing space. Before I get into the discussion with Pierre and Blake, I have to give the shout outs to to James and Sam in compliance. Before I begin, I need to state the following to clarify. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Wisdom Tree and are subject to change. Anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast research nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities, and reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember, past performance is no indication of future results. And now we're on to the fun stuff. Fun stuff. We have Pierre and Blake here today from the quantitative research team, experts in indexing across various asset classes. And uh, Pierre, to kick things off for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what indexing is, and I know some of them will be, but let's be considerate for those who aren't into some of the more technical parts of traditional finance. Indexing, what is it? Uh, When does it start and why do people do it? Yeah, so in one sentence, right, indexing is a way to track the performance of a group of assets in a very standardized way. Right? The idea is to use simple, transparent, systematic rules that can be applied consistently over time to create a portfolio. And the performance of this portfolio is what we're going to call the index, and it allows us to follow the performance of that index and therefore of that group of assets. Now, if we look back, indexing is a very old thing. Right, It started in the late 19th century uh, in equities. Uh, with the Dojot Industrial uh, Index being one of the first one. Uh, and it was created as a way to benchmark the performance of equities. And so as a way for investors to be able to compare their own performance with the performance of the market, right? And the index is very often called the market because it's meant to represent the performance of all the equities or all the bonds and, and so on, right? But now, starting from this benchmarking world, where the idea was really to just know what the performance of the market is, this has evolved quite a lot. Very quickly, being able to compare the performance 
of investors versus the benchmark, investors have, starting, have started to say, oh, I would like to invest in that market. And therefore, uh, you started to see some product come up to be able to track the benchmark, so to track the index. So in the 70s, you could do it with index fund that would track the S&P 500, for example. Uh, then in the 90s, you had ETF, so exchange traded fund that came up and allowed you to uh, also track the index. And if we think about the last few months, you now see some digital tokens that allows you to track uh, the index. So that's the second function of the index in some way. It gives you a way to invest in the market without taking too much of an active decision around which stock we li you like, which bond you like, and so on. And the last thing that's worth mentioning is that the, the last evolution of indexing is to go above the market in some way, to, to not try to track the market, but to try to beat the market. And so when we start talking about factor investing or this type of things, we're talking about basically systematic quant investing, where you apply systematic rules to try to beat the market. And so this is still called an index, but in some way it's a different animal. It is more uh, an investment strategy wrapped inside something which is systematic and therefore rule-based and therefore is called an index, but it's not about representing the market. It is about beating the market. Great. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, we love clarifying on Crypto Clarified. <laughs> That's why we have the name. And that was an excellent, succinct explanation of over 100 years of financial services history. Indeed, indexes kind of think of them as a basket of stocks. Instead of sitting there and saying, I like Tesla, uh, it's the best, and Elon Musk's a genius. Uh, if you maybe have some doubts, you buy all the automotives or all the clean energy providers. And that way you, you step back a little bit. And regardless of who wins, at least you've got them there, right? Rules-based, yeah, okay. very stringent, uh, passive in some ways. Um, Blake, changing, turning to you, so crypto indexing um, is one of these things that has only recently become po uh, possible. So what has changed in the last few years that's meant that uh, we could think about or start doing crypto indexing, uh, just in general terms? Perfect. First off, thanks for having me, Ben. It's good. To, it's a pleasure to be on the air with you guys here. Um, so what has changed in the last uh, couple of years around crypto, uh, the crypto universe, I'll say, um, that is a really kind of allowed for indexing? I think one of the big things is that historically, Bitcoin really dominated the, the crypto market. Um, and then obviously, 2017, you have ETH and some of the ICO craze taking place. So you expand the overall universe in terms of assets that could be invested in. So I would say that's really a key thing is that now there's actually multiple investable assets out there that are worth tracking. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of questions and a, a, a lot of other pieces that are involved there around like, okay, so say there's now, you know, if the Bitcoin dominance now has dropped down to roughly 40% of the total market. Um, and then if, if Ethereum's 30%, if I'm just ballparking numbers here, you know, there's still 30% that, you know, is allocated across a, you know, a wide array, array of other assets that, you know, may or not may or may not be uh, well tracked in terms of data. Um, sure, you have the accessibility of on-chain data uh, to determine, you know, for example, if you're going to do a market cap weighted type of index um, as just like a very much like an S&P 500 of crypto, um, you need to have that type of 
you know, accurate pricing data, accurate supply data to make sure you can calculate, you know, a true market cap. And just thinking about those, those questions there, you, you want to make sure, you know, especially in an unregulated type of space that the, the pricing you're using, um, you know, is, is not, uh, you know, coming from any type of wash trading or any other type of uh, activity that, you know, wouldn't be deemed as, uh, you know, true volume and, and give you and not necessarily giving you a fair price. Um, so those are some of the things to think about. But over time, the key thing is that we've really gone beyond Bitcoin and we now have data to be able to track uh, these things that are beyond Bitcoin. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. And, and if I may add, like also like, and maybe we'll do this later on, but we'll discuss the parallel between a crypto index and maybe an equity index or a bond index and what's the same, what's different. But just to give maybe a bit of a numerical uh, notion of what's an index supposed to cover. In, in the equity world, you would expect a large cap index to cover probably 95% of the market cap, of the total market cap of the, of the country or the universe we're trying to cover. Uh, if you include small cap, you would probably want to include 99% of the total market cap of the space. And so, like Blake was saying, 95% of the space five, six years ago, it's probably Bitcoin or Bitcoin plus one, right? But this is not the case anymore. Like when you're looking at 95%, maybe 99% right now, you're looking at 100, 100 of coins, 100 of tokens, right? And that's where the need of in of indexing comes in is because you can't just say anymore, ooh, I invested in coin A and it beat Bitcoin or it didn't beat Bitcoin. This is not the benchmark anymore. At the end of the day, Bitcoin was the benchmark 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, but now it isn't. And so the question is, what do I compare myself to? Like I bought this coin six months ago. Was it a good or a bad investment decision? you don't know if you don't know what 99% of the space has done. And that's kind of what the index does. Absolutely. It's really interesting as someone who's seen this space grow over time. Uh, it used to be you just buy Bitcoin. That's all you do. And in, there's a lot of people out there now who are going to start cursing me on the internet because, you know, we're opening the possibility that there are things other than Bitcoin. Each has got like a different kind of investment case and set of characteristics. We see successes that have emerged over the last five to 10 years. And we've seen lots of failures as well. So like Pierre, just to bring it back in like succinct terms, like why would someone want to buy a crypto index, right? Surely you just go on yeah. Twitter and just say buy Bitcoin and then it goes up, right? Uh, an index, why do it? Well, f first reason is really benchmarking, right? Like you, you mm -hmm. think about, like, I always think about like the, the twenties, right? And equities. And at the time you would have newspapers and at the end of the newspaper you would have two a4 pages of performance of stock you would have stock a up one percent stock b up two percent and then people would go and stock pick but you have no idea if you're doing well or not doing well crypto space now is a little bit like this you go on an exchange you're going to get hundreds of coins with performance and you're like oh i like this one i don't like this one but you need a benchmark you need what the market is doing to really be able to compare and so that's what the benchmark gives you. And that's why in crypto, it's important to start having this S&P 500 for crypto, right? This market performance, something that represents what the market as a whole is doing. Uh, so that's benchmarking. The second thing that we, I think will come very soon is investing in the market. I said 
uh, in equities, it's what came next. And in crypto, of course, the timeline are compressed, right? What happened in 100 years in financial market in crypto is happening in five. And so investing into the market is going to be the next step because you're going to want investors, investors sorry, are going to want to have diversification to start saying if there are multiple tokens, multiple use case, uh, multiple sectors, right? Metaverse, uh, NFTs, uh, layer one, you're going to want to start investing in a diversified way, not take a single coin risk, but take a basket risk. And that's where the index is going to come in, right? Um, and I think you asked before what makes indexing possible in crypto. One, the last thing I would mention from Blacklist is liquidity, because liquidity is coming in for, I mean, Bitcoin, has always been liquid or has been liquid for a very long time. But like, if you look at the smaller coins, they, they're very liquid or they're starting to get more liquid. And that allows to go from benchmarking to investment because benchmark doesn't need to be liquid. You can calculate price from relatively liquid assets. You want it to be a little bit liquid for the price to update, but you don't need it to be super liquid. When you move to investing, you need the liquidity to be there. And that's where the market is trending getting more liquidity in, and that means making index investing doable. Got it. Thank you for that. Yeah, if I think back now, like it used to be you just buy Bitcoin, but your second point there around like buying the market in essence is really interesting. Like if someone had come to me five years ago and said, all right, I'm going to give you a crypto index. We don't know if Ethereum is going to survive. We don't know what else is going to be created in the future. I'm going to give you this thing that tracks it by some metric like market capitalization. Uh, that would have meant like the last two years, I would have had plenty of Ethereum, but it would also have captured some of these other layer one alternatives like Avalanche and Solana as they kind of went up and then, and then retreated over the last year. So it's kind of one of those things where in retrospect, <laughs> it would have been really nice to have access. Uh, but, you know, you, these things don't happen overnight, right? They take time to put together professionally and carefully. And that's the topic we're going to turn to next. Now, Blake, you've talked about some of this already, particularly around data availability and quality assurance. Uh, when you think about trying to go out and do crypto indexing, what are some of like the pitfalls that people can fall into? What are some of the tricky parts in the space that we accept as one that's you know relatively low maturity, but changing constantly? So I would say, I mean, I kind of highlighted the market cap situation with just determining, you know, an accurate price. I mean, obviously the other end of that calculation is the, you know, the accurate, accurate circulating supply. And I specifically say circulating supply there because, you know, a significant portion of many of these tokens are locked up in different founder wallets, um, other types of, you know, less liquid um, type of wallets. So in that sense, they're not circulating. So if we're trying to I'll say in back, go back to equity world and, and mimic a free float market cap type of calculation um, to actually give an inaccurate definition of what is the market, the, the asset um, trading at in terms of market cap valuation. Um, we want to do that, um, but actually getting an accurate you know, calculation there is challenging. So it takes, you know, review and it takes a thoughtful review and um, make sure and it takes the, you know, it takes that bringing that process into uh you know, taking that taking that into action just to make sure that like you're reviewing, okay, what's the systematic systematic process for determining what is considered liquid versus not liquid? How many weeks do um, tokens need to be sitting still before they're you know actually um, you know considered not uh, not no no longer circulating? 
Um, so that's, that's one piece of things uh, in terms of supply. You also have that coming across multiple data sources. So, you know, if you're not doing that yourself, you're now, you know, leaving that calculation to, you know, another data provider. So there's that aspect as well. Um, it just as like a couple examples, I might dive into one more that you brought, uh, brought up, um, I guess a little bit, uh, but it jumped into my mind was around historic, like thinking about an index historically and that 99% type of rule, um, if you're trying to map 99% of the universe. So just thinking about that, if we were to try to backtest that type of thing, or if, since it doesn't exist, the challenge with that is looking backwards and saying, how do we actually have a mapping of all the dead coins from say 2017? Like a lot of the data providers, a lot of um, places that you'd go to try to pull this data aren't, aren't even out there. So in that sense, we could backtest the market cap weighted type of index for the last five years, but it's gonna have this uh, survivorship bias because certain dead coins that you know blew up um, during like the ICO craze all of a sudden are now, you know, trading essentially at zero and are going to be excluded from your 99%. And if you don't actually have that today because of data availability issues, you're essentially going to have a, you know, an inaccurate, you know, back test. So for whatever strategy you might be, you know, putting together, if it is beyond, um, if it is, you know, a market cap weighted or other type of um, indexing strategy. So there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, small details that need to be thought about in this process. Um, you know, on top of just the technical um, expertise that comes in with just, you know, you know, getting all the data across the board, bringing it together um, and, you know, making sure it's uh, clean and, and ready to use. It's one of the kind of, it's not an irony, but it's, it's a reality of the space. A lot of folks talk about how transparent it is because the entries are recorded on distributed ledgers. They use open source technology, but it's kind of remarkable how hard it can be to patch together quality data that comes assumed from kind of more traditional markets via Bloomberg and other providers. Uh, pacing all that together is a really tricky task uh, just in of itself. But Pierre, a lot of people look at this space and they always remark like how volatile it is. Um, thinking about volatility is an obstacle to indexing or something that has to be taken into account. I know you're going to tell me the volatility is always there regardless, right? It's a question of how volatile. <laughs> so you can tell the listeners yeah. that too. <laughs> but I'd like to hear your thoughts about how you manage volatility in the context of crypto indexing. Yeah. So volatility is an issue for sure. Uh, because when you do an index, you want to represent the market and you want the weight to be relatively stable in some way, right? But but let, let's take a step back first because we tend to focus on market cap, uh, capitalization straight away when we think about index or at least people that work in index too. And, but it, we don't have to do that, right? Like if you think about the objective of the crypto index is to represent the market. Right, is to be representative of the market, and there is many ways. To, there are many ways to do this. Right, it's just about we need to think through what does that mean. Um, because if you think about equities, I was talking about this this index from the Dogeon index from 130 years ago. It was price weighted, which means the bigger the stock price, the more weight you get the index in the index, which is weird, right? Like it's just the the size of a, the the price of a stock is very random, right? You can start it at one, you can start it at 100 if you want, it doesn't make any difference. But that was driving the weight 
in the index. Was that a very good index? No, not really. And so they changed, after a long time, to market cap weighted, where you take into account the size of the equity or the size of the company. Now, that makes more sense. You think, okay, bigger company, more employees, more revenue, bigger weight in the index. Okay, I understand. But now, as I said before, the, the equity index was the first one, but then we had index everywhere. So we started to have bond index. And then they decided to do market cap weighted for bonds because it works for equity, it's going to work for bonds, no, no issue. But what does that mean to market cap weight bonds? It means the more debt you issue, the more weight you have in the index, right? Is that a good representation of the totality of bonds in the world? Yeah, but is it something that makes sense from an investment point of view? Less so, right? You probably don't want to have the, your bigger weights into the biggest uh, debt issuer in the world. They, they're probably the most likely to die. So, so you have to think about how you do your index to be representative and to make sense, right? And so when it comes to crypto, that means a lot of uh, questions. Because I said at the beginning, it, we want simple, we want transparent rules, but it doesn't mean it's two rules. There are many, many rules in an equity index. There are uh, market capitalization rules in terms of size, there are liquidity, there is uh, free float, uh, Blake was talking about. There is, if, you, if you're building a US index, how do you decide a company goes into the US index or doesn't? Like, is it domicile? Is it listing? Is it where the revenue come from? So there are quite a lot of discussion of decision to take and in crypto, that's the same, we have to take them, but also we are very early. So what's interesting is that you can kind of decide in equities that has been decided, you can't change it anymore. In crypto, you can. And so to come back to your question about the volatility, is the volatility an issue? Yes, if you absolutely want to apply the same rules than in equities, right? But you don't have to. And so you can decide to tailor the rules so that volatility is left on an issue. So for example, you could decide, I'm not going to wait by market cap on day D. I'm just going to market to wait with um, average or a mean market cap for the last few months to take into to remove some of that noise to just look at the long-term trends, right? For example, that could be one idea. Another idea could be to say, do I want all of cryptos? Like, do I want stable coins in that index, right? Because they are not the price of a stable coin by definition does not move. So when I'm calculating an index where the point is to benchmark the performance of the crypto space, does that make sense to have stable coin in? Or does it make sense to have stable coins stay outside of it? So there's quite a lot of interesting uh, discussion to have around how do you build a crypto index, in fact. Yeah, indeed. There's lots of nuance there. It strikes me just hearing you say, do you want stable coins in there or not? I mean, they're pegged to US dollars for the most part. And over the last year, the US dollar has strengthened considerably. Maybe you do want US dollars in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the whole index, obviously, but in certain contexts, actually, maybe that makes some sense, depending on how you denominate your wealth. Yes. But uh, it depends what you want to do with index as well, right? That's, that's a question, Mark. Like you were asking, what's the point of the index? If we're thinking about the index as an investment tool, like to decide if you've done well, if you didn't do well, maybe you don't want the stable coins. But if that's not the goal of your index, your index is to be more representative or uh, to look at the total market cap, then maybe you do. So it, 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 it will depend on what you want to do.
I suspect just having rigid and objective rules would be enough because it stops people just yoloing into things that they read on the internet. <laughs> but that's that's a separate matter. You shouldn't be yoloing in, in, in investing. Uh, like like to extend that concept a little bit more, and knowing that you kind of dig through a lot of metrics, you know, as Pierre said, like one way to do this is market cap. It's the way that a lot of people gravitate towards. Are there any other kind of metrics out there that uh, you think are interesting or useful or folks should explore when thinking about how to index the space? Yeah, I mean, so one of the, this branches into a really uh, great portion of, I think, the ne- or at least the next stage of, you know, indexing and where you're actually trying to, so say we get to the point sometime in the f- near future where there is a benchmark that is, uh, whether it's defined by market cap or not, um, but there's that benchmark in place. Uh, some of these other metrics that could be quite useful to lean away from that benchmark, which could be, in a sense, maybe alpha chasing, if we're defining that benchmark as that original benchmark as beta, would be um, you know something like TVL, total value locked, on a, on a smart contract platform. So essentially, the amount of assets that are locked into these different smart contracts could be indicative of you know the actual usage of that layer one. Um, so that could be an interest way to, interesting way to weight um, an index or a, a various investment um, portfolio. Um, I mean, you could also look at the overall number of you know active wallets or the number of transactions taking place on a network. Um, if you're branching into specific protocols that are sitting on top of these layer ones, um, you could really pull some very bespoke metrics around their specific use case, or I'll call it a, maybe a, a sub a subsector or something that's a little bit more detailed. So if it's a a lending protocol, you could actually look into some some of the metrics around uh, that specific activity um, to to determine is this something that you know is has longevity is uh you know maybe potentially meeting critical mass and uh, you know making making a strong or defining a strong use case for um, crypto and blockchains especially especially in the sense of in terms of like a public blockchain um, you know I'm just like I'll just say like Uniswap for example. The overall volume on Uniswap um, as a de- decentralized exchange surpassed Coinbase um, in this last year, and I think it was there's you know various stats depending on how you slice it up. I think it was you know daily trading volume and, and whatnot in terms of U.S. dollars, but you know certain metrics that uh, are, are like that could drive an investment process that could be quite interesting and lead to um, potential outperformance uh, versus a you know a, I'll say more vanilla benchmark that. Uh, it's just giving you that beta type of exposure in the market. I like this discussion because what you're doing is putting a framework of how to think about and measure things in this space. Now, I read some commentators on the interwebs and they say crypto is all gambling. It's all just a crapshoot. Everybody's out there just like throwing darts blindfolded. And what we're kind of unpacking here in the context of indexing, but just thinking more broadly, like, if you really sit down and think and start measuring certain things, cleaning up the data, putting into a conceptual model, you can start to see things here that either are potential opportunities. But the other one I want to think about is risks. So we've talked about a few different metrics, quantitative ones, and I know coming from quantitative research, that's the bread and butter. But there's also like kind of qualitative risks um, that one might think about when putting together an index. Like just thinking about the last year watching Terra Luna blow up uh, and then having seen the failure of a few different pro- projects as developers ran away or uh, security exchange commission proceedings are brought against folks. What, what are some of the, and Pierre, I'll, I'll throw this to you and then Blake, I'll also welcome your thoughts. 
like red flags, um, either Pierre from red flags you borrow from the traditional equities world or, or Blake, crypto specific yeah. red flags. Where, where would you start, Pierre? So, so first, I think it's important to, to realize that risk management is not something that does not exist in equity indices or bond indices. It is also part of those indices. So if you think about the S&P 500, it is mostly rule-based, but there is a risk management layer, uh, which, they, which is basically a, a committee of people. And for example, it stopped Tesla go in uh, the S&P 500 for quite a long time in 2020, I think. So I don't want to reopen old wounds, but basically Tesla was big enough to get into the S&P 500 at in the top 100, in fact, right? So not 499, but like in the top 100 easily. And it was growing fast, but yet the committee was saying, no, we are not comfortable with some metrics and therefore it is not in the S&P 500 because the committee is responsible to say the index needs to be representative of the market, but also the committee e is realistic on the fact that there are trillions of dollars that are tracking the S&P 500. And so they have a fiduciary responsibility in terms of what goes in and what goes out, right? And so that exists in equities. And that's something that should exist in crypto indices as well. And so you mentioned risk management and there is this layer where you have to be um, careful. And so you have to ask yourself, for example, if a coin, if a token is currently under investigation by, by some leading regulators, being American, being other countries, should this coin sit out of the benchmark for a while until this is resolved? If you have uh, a token that have issues in terms of uh, money laundering or this type of things, should it sit out of the index until is it resolved, right? And here there is a balance. There is representativeness, right? Of course, if you keep some coins out, you're slightly less representative of the market, but there is also a risk, right? If you put some coins that appear more risky because they have issues, then there is more likelihood that you have more volatility in your index, that your index is more volatile in terms of what's coming in, what's coming out, in terms of the weight moving more. And so there is a balance to find and there is not a perfect answer, but for sure, that's a perfect question. It's a question that needs to be answered before you can do the index. You can't just not think about it. In the same way that you cannot just launch an index and not think about stable coins. You need to decide why it's in or why it's out. If you just launch and forget about it, you're not serving your, and I'll call users, the user of index. Thanks. Blake, just going back to you then, like in terms of red flags, quantitative, qualitative, new red flags that maybe you've seen? Uh, do you have any thoughts on the topic? Yeah, so I would say, so something, I think the use case in terms of the qualitative, like qualitative type of um, metrics is a useful process to go, go down here. So obviously if you're trying to, you know, slice up this entire universe of crypto assets, you're going to need a way to categorize each of these assets in terms of their use case. So I think in term for when you're thinking about things qualitatively, um, specifically looking at their use case and then being able to say, okay, these use cases are generally good to go. Like most of the time they involve minimal amount of say manual review because we've seen it before. Um, there's, you know, there might be a few quantitative metrics to look at the overall liquidity, you know, where is it uh, trading at? How is pricing? You know, what's the overall level of concentration of the actual token? Is 80% locked up in VC and founder 
to, uh, founder wallets. And maybe if that's the case, that's something that should not necessarily be included in the index because of overall concentration risk and or, you know, potential, I'll say, just dumping of the assets um, on, on various markets. The other, as, branching back to the qualitative space, I would say, you know, if you start to think about like a sector or something that, or the use case that a, a certain token might be operating in, the first thing that comes to mind is like, Tornado Cash, like for example, you include a privacy token like Tornado Cash. Like, sure, um, you know, there's arguments around the the overall use case and whether you know how it's used in one aspect or another. But you know, in a sense that OFAC came in and said that this is you know essentially, you know, this is going to be added to to the the naughty list, if you will. Um, like Pierre said, you have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that all of your clients are not going to be subject to that risk. So anything that would be like generally considered a privacy token in terms of, you know, overall sector may be, you know, one of those red flags that say, hey, this automatically just shows up on a list that we have to review in detail to know that this is not something that's going to, you know, pose an additional risk in terms of regulatory risk uh, in the space. So you really have to, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of effort on the qualitative side, but I think there's also quantitative metrics that, um, can help proxy that stuff, um, you know, each probably more specific to uh, each of the use cases. But, um, you know, as we move forward, I'm sure there'll be, you know, more evolution in that space. There's a lot of good points there. I mean, part of it is, as you said, like, there's, there's these different networks can be used in different ways. And those uh, uses change over time. So Tornado Cash a mixer for listeners, a mixer is something that obscures the destination and uh, outcome of uh, transactions that's associated with Ethereum. Uh, do you take Ethereum out because there's this adjacent service that provides this kind of obscurity to transactions? And in previous episodes, we've talked about Tornado Cash at length. So listeners go back and pick up that one uh, with, uh, with Coin Center. Then there's Monero and Zcash, which are kind of payment met methods that build into the protocol itself, obscure the uh, origin and or destination of the transactions. Should they be in there or not, given the ways they can and can't be used in certain proportions? And all of this is changing in real time. And uh, new risks emerge as new use cases uh, emerge, as new technologies develop. So it's really hard to monitor the space. And the final one I would add here, it's one that I kind of sit back and look at with a lot of interest. If we took the S&P 500, we're talking about really big companies, for the most part, that have been around for a relatively long period of time. Uh, for a lot of this stuff in the digital asset ecosystem, it is new and experimental technology. It's much more like a venture capital portfolio of small companies, potentially high growth. And uh, while they're not equities, uh, there are these kind of different token economic incentive structures built into certain networks and tokens. And so it doesn't surprise me if things die and disappear. Like that churn is, I think, going to be higher uh, with what you probably see in like really micro cap companies or even pre-IPO companies. So the idea you've got indexes that have to kind of manage this entry and exit of uh, especially very small cap uh projects, applications, protocols, it's just really tricky. And uh, the rate at which some things grow and crash, like Terra Luna, uh, the way in which things can be usurped by, uh, by other platforms, I'm thinking about Curve and Convex, 
it's just really hard to navigate. So there's a lot of knowledge. I hope what's coming through to listeners here is that from the discussion with Pierre and Blake, there's a lot to think about here. There's a lot of intricacy and nuance, but it's all very tractable. If you think about it in a structured way, you can borrow some lessons from traditional finance and equity indexing uh, that are tremendously helpful in navigating this space, managing risks, and eventually maximizing opportunities. Uh, on that note, I'm going to start turning us towards the end of the episode. Uh, opportunities for the future in crypto indexing. Pierre, let's kick off with you. It can come back to your structure before around the different purposes for indexing. Uh, you've already mentioned before where you think it's going uh, on, on kind of exposure to the market. But do you have any additional thoughts or would you like to extend on those thoughts about yeah. where the future lies here? Yeah. I think what you just said is really interesting is that it's it's a lot of work to create an index, right? And you're going to need some experts player to start doing it and to create a serious benchmark for the space that takes all of this into account. And and that takes work, but it doesn't take too much work that it's impossible, right? It just takes a little bit of willingness and spending the time, but it is doable. But the value of doing that work for the whole community is huge because giving a benchmark to, a, to an asset class is a first step towards making that asset class really investable in the real sense of the world, in the sense of investable for everyone and not just people that are really into the space and understand single coin, right? It, there is a very big difference between the... Um, ubiquity of being able to invest in equities if you have a benchmark or if you have to pick single stocks. Picking single stocks is really difficult. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of investment in order to understand what you're buying, which most people don't have time to do. But benchmarking, if someone has done the work, picking a benchmark and investing in that benchmark is a lot less time consuming. It is a lot more uh, ubiquitous, right? And so having the benchmark has a huge value for the community as in two points. One, it gives you a point of reference of what is the crypto space doing, right? So you understand every day, every week, every month what it is doing. And you can understand the big uh, move, the big trend in the space without getting bogged down by what happened with coin A or coin B. So that's really important. But the second thing that benchmarking gives you is that now you have a tool for uh, professional investors like me to start mixing crypto with the rest of the traditional assets, right? When we build portfolios for clients here, uh, it's about the volatility, it's about the return, but it's, also the it's about the correlation, it's about how does the asset behave in different types of environment in different parts of the business cycle and having the benchmark allows to calculate this type of things and really start merging the crypto space as an asset class into traditional assets and into portfolio. So that's going to be a tool that is really necessary to be able to get institutional um, investments, right? That's a really important. And the second step of having the benchmark is that then you can start having basically index fund. I don't know if it's an index fund, it's an index ETF, whatever the f exact format of the product. But having the index makes it possible to invest into the space in its globality, right? In a way that is curated and in a way that makes that takes away the need to really go 
deep into each coin before making a decision. Because someone else has come up with rules that allows to capture most of the space. And so if you start to believe into crypto as 10 years, 20 years from now, it's going to revolution the internet, it's going to revolution finance. It has a huge growth potential. I want to invest because I want to put my money for my retirement or at least part of it, right? In something that is going to grow because 20, 30 years from now, I want to be able to use that money for whatever. Having the index is really key because it's about the growth of the space and it is not about the growth of a specific project. Because like you said, Ben, some project will work, some project will die, but it doesn't mean that the space will die. It just means that the maybe it's another coin that would be successful, right? And so it's about investing into the full space. So that's to me the two very, very big things that are coming very soon is the benchmarking of the space in the and the index and the indexing in the sense of being able to buy the space. Now then after that, Blake mentioned, then you can into go into more uh, quant investing based on systematic strategies. But that's probably a little bit more down the line. I don't know what you think, Blake. Yeah, I, I was I was going to just agree with you on all those points and say, yeah, it's probably a little bit further down the line. Um, and I think, I mean, to me, that's exciting, though, because once you do get the benchmark, you do and, you know, the institutional adoption um, grows, um, you know, you can expand up across that benchmark and across the, you said, the index fund or the index ETF, as you might refer to it. Um, down to even like sub indexes and something that's a little bit more of a unique exposure within the space. So I mentioned all the sectors there before you could actually sit. So for example, if you were thinking about DeFi, you could say, oh, I, you know, I'd really like a DeFi exposure because I really think that's a strong use case for crypto. And now you could actually have, you know, another sub indice that tracks that and you could invest in that. And then, you know, like back to the quant thing to take it one more step further is you pull some of those interesting metrics to determine which, uh, DeFi protocols and DeFi tokens are actually included in that that index or that that portfolio, and um, things could get really quite interesting. And you really start to see the space, um, you know, become very sophisticated very quickly in terms of figuring out how to um, allocate uh, within that crypto allocation in, in a broader portfolio. Yeah, that's that's interesting because like that's exactly how most investors behave, right? They are always the single stock pickers, right? But most people are going to take a benchmark and then they are going to tweak it towards what they like. So they are going to say, I like US equities, so I'll buy US equities instead of world equities, for example, right? But they will say, I really believe in energy for 2022. So I'll buy S&P 500 energy. So subsectors of the S&P 500. So similar to the story about, about DeFi. But then you could you can push those type of story quite far. You can say what I really believe in crypto is about the developers. It's about the strengths of the development team. So I'm going to buy my index, but inside the index, I'm going to buy more of whichever coin has the most developers or whichever coins have the most human capital because they have the strongest developers that have worked on the best coin before. But any kind of ideas is a lot easier to implement if you can start from the base. And the base is a benchmark, right? If you have to start from here is 10,000 coins, it is very, very difficult. If you start from here is the S&P 500 of crypto, then you can start tweaking. And that's why I think there is a huge value for this benchmark to start to exist. 
Excellent. Well, I feel relieved now because that all sounds a lot easier than combing message boards and trying to like sit in on spaces and listen to people come out and say why they're building the best new blockchain NFT infrastructure provider. You just go and just buy something that gives you exposure to everything. You say, I don't think it's going away. I don't know what's going to win. I know some things are going to lose. So give me everything. And then I'm going to go have a nap. Uh, there, there is one problem though, which is... Who is going to sit around arguing on the internet about which coin is best anymore? Like, who's going to do it? Because they'll all just buy an index and go have naps and there'll be nobody packing away saying, no, no, my coin's best or that coin sucks. No, I don't like that person. <laughs> I guess maybe they'll go back to equities or, or maybe commodities and argue about gold, huh? Yeah, under the years of equity index, you still have those people. So that's fine. <laughs> all right. So at least that's not going away either. It's all very calming today. Uh, we're coming up at time. That's the end of the episode. It's been super informative. Thank you, Pierre and Blake, for joining us. Uh, we're out of time, but I hope listeners found today's podcast useful and informative. If to kick off the episode, you didn't know there's more than Bitcoin, I hope you're still sitting in your chair. If you're not in your chair, you can contact me at Benjamin Dean on the Bird app. Tell me how you're going. If you're in the United States, join the waitlist for Wisdom Tree Prime. Uh, as a reminder, if you'd like us to cover any specific topics in a future episode or to find out more information, please email cryptoclarified at wisdomtree.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have an excellent day.